This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, Trey. How's it going? You know, I think you're my healthiest. I believe you're my healthiest and strongest tree. Just incredible. So what is it that sets you apart? Okay, Tree, have a nice day. See you tomorrow. Don't you love that gardener? I love that guy. You know, he asks a question that we're going to come back to. So what is it, what is it that sep- sets you apart from all my other trees? I see some of the junior high kids leaving, so uh, those of you who haven't got the clue yet, if you're ready to go, this would be a good time. Wow, welcome to church. Welcome to a very special morning. I said to some people on the way in, kind of half teasing, but not really. So we have a special service for you. They said, oh yeah, what's it? I said, it's about Jesus. And it is. The whole service is about Jesus. And, and I hope that when you leave this place today, I hope that you have a fresh realization of just how blessed you are because of Jesus. If this is your first time here, and I know for several of you it is, I just want to say welcome. Um, as Bob spoke earlier, he said God has an agenda for you, and He does. There's an agenda for all of us. And I've prayed about that this morning as we were getting ready for church. I was praying that that agenda, we would somehow tune into it, all of us individually. Uh, I don't know what God's agenda is for you. I, I don't know you probably well enough to know that. But I do know that God knows you. And God knows that you're here this morning, and God knows why you're here this morning. So I just pray that during the service that somehow that that gets made clear to you and that you can embrace that into your life. And even if you're only here for one Sunday, you're just passing through, that's okay too. Uh, I certainly hope that whenever you're in town, we get to be that church that you come to. Um, Because every Sunday, God changes all of our lives if we're open to it. And this morning will be no exception. So, welcome to church. Now, on the inside of your program, there's some fill-in-the-blank notes. I want to encourage you to get those out. Take the pencil that we've uh, supplied for you. And take a few moments uh, to fill out those notes. And then, if you would, refer back to them once or twice during the week. Uh, It will really help you embrace what God wants to do in your life. I have a story I want to read you. In the supermarket, Curtis, the stock boy, was busily working when a new voice came over the loudspeaker asking for a carryout at register four. Curtis was almost finished and he wanted to get a breath of fresh air, so he decided to answer the call. As he approached the checkout stand, a smile caught his eye. The new checkout girl was beautiful. Now, she was just a little bit older than he. Uh, He was 22. She was maybe 26. But she was well worth the chance. So later that day, after his shift was over, he waited by the punch clock to find out her name. She came into the break room, smiled softly at him, took her card, punched out, and then left. He went in, went up, pulled the card up, 
and saw her name was Brenda. He walked out only to see her uh, a short while later walking up the road. The next day, he waited outside as she left the supermarket and offered her a ride home. He looked harmless enough, and she accepted. When he dropped her off, he asked if maybe he could see her again outside of work. She simply responded, that is impossible. Well, he pressed, and she explained that she had two children and couldn't afford a babysitter. So Curtis offered to pay the babysitter. Reluctantly, she accepted the offer for a date the following Saturday. That Saturday night, he arrived at her door only to have her tell him she actually wasn't able to go out with him. Why? Well, the babysitter had canceled, to which Curtis simply said, well, let's take the kids along. She tried to explain that taking the children was not an option, but again, Curtis wasn't taking no for an answer. So finally, Brenda brought him inside to meet her children. She had an older daughter who Curtis would say was just as cute as a bug. Then Brenda brought out her son in a wheelchair. He was born a paraplegic with Down syndrome. Curtis looked at Brenda and said, I still don't understand why the kids can't come with us. Brenda was amazed. Most men would run away from a woman with two kids especially if one of them had disabilities, just like her first husband and the father of her children had done. Curtis was not ordinary. He had a different mindset. So that evening, Curtis and Brenda loaded up the kids and went to dinner in the movies. When her son needed anything, Curtis would take care of him, and when he needed to use the restroom, Curtis picked him up out of his wheelchair, took him, and brought him back. As you might guess, the kids loved Curtis. At the end of the evening, Brenda decided that if there was any way possible, she would marry this man, spend the rest of her life with him. So a year later, they were married. And Curtis adopted both of her children. And since then, they've added two more. So what happened to Curtis the stock boy and Brenda the checkout girl next week? No, no, just teasing. (laughs) Well, they are now Mr. and Mrs. Kurt Warner. They now live in Arizona where he is employed as the quarterback of the National Football Conference champion Arizona Cardinals. That's the real-life story of Kurt Warner. And you thought I was just a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, right? Well... Actually, Kurt Warner is one of my heroes in life, for obvious reasons. When he was just a, just a, a, a guy working in the supermarket, he had values that guided him in life. And they're the same values that he still carries. And um, so today I want to talk to you about another one of my heroes, my all-time ultimate favorite hero, and that's Jesus. Take a look at the title of the message. It simply says, Jesus, the ultimate hero. You know, when the gardener came out and he looked at his garden and and he walked up to this tree, he said, you know, you are my strongest and healthiest tree. Now, what is it that sets you apart from all the other trees? Well, if you surveyed the human race 
and you saw all the billions of people who have ever lived, there is one that is in a category all by himself. Today we're going to look at what is it that sets Jesus apart from all the people who have ever lived and all the other religious leaders who have ever lived. In this passage, we're working our way through the book of Colossians, but in this passage, the Apostle Paul lists seven things, just bang, 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 seven things that set Jesus apart from every other human being. And because of that, he is the ultimate hero. Let's take a look at this passage and move relatively quickly through these seven. Number one, Jesus stands alone because he has existed from eternity. Here's how Paul said it. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything. I want you to underline that. That's what you got to get. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. It's a very clear statement that Jesus was an eternal being who had no beginning and it is inferred that he would have no end and sure enough, he doesn't. Now, Paul was not the only one to believe that. In fact, Jesus himself claimed that on many occasions. But the one I want to draw your attention to, one day he was standing in front of people who actually were challenging him. And and they were talking about how great their father Abraham was because these people were Jews. And they wanted Jesus to be as good as Abraham. And Jesus looked at them and he said, before Abraham was, I am. Well, if you were a Jew, that would get your attention in a heartbeat for many reasons. Number one, Abraham lived more than 1,500 years before Jesus did. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he was claiming to be at least how old? At least 1,500 years old. Then when he said those two words at the end, I am, every Jew understood that when Moses stood before God and, God and God talked with Moses and told him to go down to Egypt to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses said, who am I going to say gave me this message? God, I don't even know your name. And God said to Moses, you just tell them I am sent you. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, they got it. They understood, oh my goodness. You see, God didn't say before Abraham was, I was. No, no. He said before Abraham was, I am. In other words, anywhere you want to go, any point along the entire timeline of human history, God said, I'm present right there. I am. And as far as you want to stretch that out into eternity, God says, I am. As far back as you want to go in eternity, God says, I am. Jesus said, I am. Later on, the Apostle John would write, in the beginning. Now, you could go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. For those are the very first three words in the Bible. In the beginning, some of you know this, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible begins. John picks up on those three words and says, in the beginning... The Word of God existed. And at that point, you don't know for sure what he's talking about, but then he describes it. And the Word of God became flesh. Getting a little clearer. 
and made his dwelling or his house among us, and we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son of God the Father. Now you know who he's talking about. He was talking about Jesus. And John said, Jesus was in the beginning, way back here, from eternity. Now, I, I recognize that's a hard concept for us to get our minds around. Because everything we know or everything we work with daily has a beginning and an end. But Jesus doesn't have one of those. You know, this is a huge claim. Do you realize no other person who's ever lived has made that claim? No other religious leader has ever made that. Did Buddha claim to, to have existed from eternity? No. Did Muhammad claim to have existed from eternity? No. Did any of the founders of Hinduism? And I don't mean to speak against any of those guys. They just never made those claims. So if a guy's going to make that claim, I'm kind of with C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell. It's like, okay, that's a claim that's way out there. So that means that whoever makes that claim has to be one of three things. There are really only three options. Number one, the guy could just be loony and crazy. If I walked up here this morning and I said, Welcome to New Life Christian Fellowship. The only church in this town pastored by someone who has existed from eternity. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Most of you wouldn't come back, right? You know, that guy's a fruitcake. <laughs> he has no idea which way he's up. Yeah. When anyone says, I've existed from eternity... There's a chance, a pretty good chance, that they're crazy. Okay? The second is, they're just lying through their teeth. That they're claiming to be something that they have no claim of, that they're trying to, they're trying to pull the wool over your eyes, they're just trying to deceive you by acting like there's somebody that they're not. And the fact that Jesus made this claim over and over and over again, the fact that His closest followers made that claim because they heard Him say it over and over again, would tell you, that if Jesus was a liar, okay, he was a pretty convincing liar. But the deal is, he's either crazy, or he's a liar, or he actually is who he says he is. You know what it takes out of the equation? That Jesus was somehow a nice guy who made a few outlandish claims about himself. No? He's either crazy, or he's a liar, or he is who he says he is. I would submit to you, for the reasons that the rest of the reasons I'm going to give you this morning, I would submit to you that Jesus stands alone as the only person to ever walk the face of planet Earth who was from eternity to eternity. That's why he's in a class by himself. Let's go to number two. Number two is he's the creator of everything. Paul says, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. I don't have time to break that all out for you this morning, but I want you to understand that, it, that Jesus is the designer or architect of everything. Just recently as I was praying, God laid on me just this concept of 
how big everything is and how teeny, teeny, tiny I am. Think about this for a minute. It was Jesus who came up with the idea of space. Unlimited space. Boundless space. And it was Jesus' idea to throw into that space all kinds of galaxies. Hundreds, thousands of galaxies that are out there. And those galaxies are huge. And one of those galaxies is the galaxy that you and I live in, the Milky Way. And inside that galaxy, there's what we call the universe. And the universe is pretty big. It's got the sun as its center, and it's got planets that revolve around it. And we're the third planet from the sun, and we're out there 93 million miles from the sun, and we're only the third planet from the sun. Guess how far 93 million miles is? Long ways. So there's the universe. Inside the universe is a planet called Earth. On that planet, there are seven continents. One of those is North America. In that continent, there are several countries, one of which is the United States. In the United States, there are 50 states, one of which is California. In the state of California, there are many counties, one of which is Sonoma. In Sonoma, there are several cities, one of which is Petaluma. In Petaluma, we have two sides, an east side and a west side. We happen to be on the east side. In the east side of Petaluma, there are a number of streets, one of which is Clegg. On Clegg Street, there are a number of buildings, one of which is 1310, the one you happen to be in. And inside that building, there are several hundred people, and you're only one of them. You know, we get to think we're pretty important. God, do you see what's happening in my world? Yes, He does. You know, we're tiny, tiny, tiny. It was Jesus who designed it all and said, you know something? Let's have stars. Let's have suns. Let's have galaxies. Let's have solar systems. Let's have not just one tree, all kinds of trees. Let's have not just one bug, all kinds of bugs. Let's not just have one kind of grass, all kinds of grasses. Jesus is the architect of it all. And He spoke it into existence. It's truly amazing. Do you realize no other person who's ever lived or walked the face of this earth, no other religious leader has ever said to anyone, you should listen to me because I made it all. Only Jesus. He stands alone as the creator of everything. Number three. He holds creation together. He, he existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. Would you think about this for a minute? If you've ever ridden a bicycle, then you know how a bicycle works. 
And that is, in order to keep your balance, you have to continually correct your steering, right? Because you don't just get balanced and stay that way forever. You start to fall and you correct and that brings you back up and so forth. And if you don't correct soon enough, down you go, right? That's how you learn how to ride a bike. Well, guess what? Anyone who studies creation understands that there are ecosystems throughout the entire creation. All different kinds of ecosystems. And and that Jesus... He knew about the food chain long before we ever knew about the food chain. And he created the entire universe so that every single member in the food chain has food. And you know, we're kind of glad about that right now, right? Yeah. But even more than that, you and I know that everything in our world that isn't monitored and managed falls apart and doesn't work anymore. Ever think about that? Yeah. What happens to your car if you don't monitor its condition and maintain it? You you just take your car and go park it in the garage. You don't touch it again for 30, 40, or 50 years. You just go out there and crank that thing up and away you go. No, it wouldn't work. You know what this passage says? That all the ecosystems in the world, Jesus monitors them and continually adjusts them. That's pretty incredible. I'm not, I'm not really making a statement about global warming, okay? But I want you to understand, yeah, we may have a part in that. But the bottom line is, you know, our only hope in terms of global warming is that Jesus will maintain our world. Because if he doesn't, you know, you could kill all the cars and all the cows and it still wouldn't help. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's Jesus who monitors and maintains the entire world. He stands alone as the manager of the universe. Let's go to number four. This is where it gets down to where you and I live. He's the only head of the church. Paul writes and says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Think about this for a minute. No human being, no matter how righteous, no matter how good, no matter how wise, could possibly lead or direct the affairs of even one single local congregation in such a way that it benefited everybody who went there. The people who are our spiritual stewards and financial stewards and our pastoral staff in this church know that continually I say to them, this church doesn't belong to us. We have, not, we have not been placed in leadership in this church so that we can direct the affairs of this church in ways that we like or direct the affairs of this church in ways that make sense to us. We have one job and one job only. The church doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. Our job is to get on our knees and pray. And hear from Christ. And when He instructs us, it's our job to get up off of our knees and lead the people as God has directed when they like it and even when they don't. It's His church. He is the only head of the church. He stands alone as what I call the chief shepherd actually referred to that in Scripture. He is the only chief shepherd. You know what that means here at New Life? 
When you look at, at our core values, one of our core values says, we believe that the local church should be a community of believers under the authority of and accountable to Jesus alone. This church is His. That makes sense to everybody? So it always has to be. He's the only head of the church. Number five. He's the first to rise from the dead and remain alive forever. Colossians 1.18 and the latter part of that verse says, He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so He is first in everything. You know, Jesus predicted five specific things about His death. Number one, He predicted where He would die. He said it would be in Jerusalem. Number two, He predicted how He would die. He said it would be with great struggle. He was crucified. Number three, He predicted who would kill Him. He said that He would be arrested by the Jews, turned over to the Romans, and the Romans would actually kill Him. And the Romans did crucify Him. He, he uh, predicted... Um, when he would die, how he would die, where he would die, he predicted how long he would stay dead. And that is that he would stay dead for three days. All of those things came true. Now, the last one is the most important one. You know, some people might predict, oh, I'm going to die at such and such a time. And some might predict, oh, I'm going to die of such and such a thing. But you know, when Jesus gave the last one, and He said, I'll tell you how long I'm going to stay dead, that puts Him in a category different from anybody else. Because the great thing about Jesus' prediction was, you only had to wait three days to find out it was true. Right? And Jesus was so public about that prediction, that, that actually when He was crucified, His enemies came to Pilate, the governor, and said, hey, we remember that this imposter said that... that in, in, in three days, he was going to rise from the dead. Well, could you give us a guard to put on the tomb so that his, his followers can't come and say, oh, yeah, 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 and they steal the body and say somehow Jesus rose from the dead. So they got a guard and they put it on the tomb. But you know the bottom line is, when Jesus says he's coming out, would it make any difference how many soldiers were out there? Nope. Because unlike any other person who's ever lived, and unlike any other religious leader who's ever lived, Jesus said, give me three days and I'll prove it to you. And he did. That's why he is the first of all who rise from the dead and supreme over them because Jesus stands alone as the author of life. And when you're the author of life, no one can keep you dead. Because you're the source of it. And he was. Number six. He was God in human flesh. Here's how Paul said it. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. God in human flesh. Wow. Now, there have been a lot of people who have kind of claimed to be gods. The Caesars claimed to be descendants of the gods and therefore a form of deity. And there's been all kinds of people who have claimed it. But you know what I wrote down here? I wrote down, see all of the above. You know, when a religious leader can walk up and say, I have existed from eternity, what is it you want to know about history? I know everybody who's ever lived and I can tell you anything about anybody. And they can prove it. 
And when they can prove that, that, that they created everything that exists. You know, Jesus gave wonderful glimpse, glimpses into the truth that he created everything. So one day, when he's in the middle of a storm that's pounding the Sea of Galilee, he stands up in the boat and he said, and he didn't actually say these words, but the illustration is there, and that is, if I created the winds and the waves, I can still them. And he said to the winds and the waves, that's enough. been a while since you've heard a religious leader do that, right? Yeah. And Jesus walked up to people who were blind and basically said, I made the human eye. I designed it. You want to see that one work? And he touched the eyes and he saw. And he walked up to a man who had an atrophied arm, probably from a stroke or maybe he was born with some form of defect, but his arm just wasn't right. It didn't work. It had no strength. And Jesus basically said, you know, I made the human arm. Would you like for that one to work? And he reached out and touched it. It was good as new. You know, when you're God in human flesh. It's pretty hard to hide. Yeah. Because He existed from eternity. Because He made everything. Because He sustains and holds everything together. He gave these wonderful glimpses all the way through that He was not just another human being walking planet Earth. He was God in human flesh. Number seven, he reconciled heaven and earth. Before I read this passage to you, I want you to understand the importance of number seven. You could take number one, numbers one through six and throw them out if there is no number seven. Because if Jesus existed from eternity, well, that's great. If he created everything, that's great too. If he's the only head of the church, that's great too. If he holds everything together by his powerful word, that's great too. But if I don't have a way to get from earth to heaven, what difference does it make? Do you understand? It all points toward this. Listen. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated. Underline that word. Circle the word separated. you got to understand what that means. From Him, by your evil thoughts and your evil actions. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His presence. Circle and underline the word presence. It's the opposite of separation. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Is that good news? Friends, that's great news. You know, as I was praying about this, God gave me this wonderful story, and I, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a sucker in, in in that I cry fairly easily, especially in stories about the human spirit. But every once in a while, I turn on the TV and I, I'll see a story of somehow a father or a mother and a son or daughter that got separated maybe at birth or years ago, 
and neither has known where the other was for many years. And somehow it gets discovered where the father is and where the child is. And someone acts as an intermediary and brings them together. And for the first time in 20 or 30 or 40 years, they look each other eyeball to eyeball. If you had the opportunity to do that for a father and his child, would you do that? There's probably not a person in this house who wouldn't do that. I would. Listen, you and I, because of sin, were separated from our Father. He just read it. Separated. And there was one, and only one, who could build the bridge that you and I could walk over to get back to God. And that was Jesus. That was Jesus. Let me read you a closing thought. A life worth living takes its cues from a life well lived. And so Paul writes to us as he concludes this particular part of the chapter, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you have received when you heard the good news. Underline and circle the word good news. Why, the good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. We stand in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul and say, we are so blessed to be able to give you the story of good news that Jesus is the bridge between us and our eternal Father. And you know the great thing? All over the world, here in the United States, in Canada, in Mexico, in India, where I was recently, in, in just all over the world, in China, in, in Iran, and in Iraq, and, and the list goes on and on, all over the world, people are walking over that bridge to get back to their Father. What a beautiful sight. The worship team's going to lead us in a song. They're going to sing a song for us, actually. And it is good news. It is, this is beautiful news. And I want to encourage you, you may not know the song, but stand, clap, participate in it because we want to celebrate the wonderful news that Jesus has reconciled us to God. Would you stand? We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.